Sure. So, uh, you know, we've talked, you and I have even talked about how, you know, remote learning is not a great substitute for um, being in person in the classroom. You know, so there's going to be things that are lost um, in that mode. Um, at the same time, you know, we, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on, you know, we're, we're professional staff. We've got master's degrees in education. You know, we pay attention to research about brains and learning and the way people learn. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting um, in the 21st century, all the different tools that are available um, for learning. Um, and so, you know, the, and then I'll say it again, we're a small school and we have the event. One of the advantages of being a small school is we can work individual by individual student by student. Um, and, you know, the, what teachers love to do is to, uh, and, you know, see the progress in their students. And, you know, so as, as hard as that was in the spring, we heard some amazing stories about the things that were accomplished there. The entire reopening process has been a challenge for school administrators around the region. As of recording this, it's Labor Day and we're down to hours before schools reopen. Districts are going through the final stages of preparation as they get ready to welcome back students. What will that look like? Over the last seven days, we've been talking with local district leaders, big and small, talking to them about their plans and expectations for the upcoming school year. I'm Josh Durso for FingerLakes1.com, and today we hear from South Seneca Superintendent Steve Zielinski. While his district might be one of the smallest, the stakes are very big and very real for students and community. Um, you know, we're on what they call a hybrid model. Um, that means that uh, everybody gets a choice about whether they're going to send their student um, in in person or um, learn from home. Uh, so, you know, part of the work of the summertime was to do all the surveys. Um, we got an initial sense from people in July, and then, you know, we've sort of... Uh, um, honed in on exactly who is coming in and who's staying home as we got as we get closer to September, um, and uh, the way we're working it is that if you are um, indicating that you're going to learn from home, we're asking for that to be a 10 week commitment, um, and the reason for that is because our entire plan revolves around how many people we're going to have in the building. Uh, you know the reason that. Um, we can make this plan work is because our numbers are small at South Seneca. You know, we're a small school. Lots of people are asking questions about the larger schools that are going fully remote at the beginning of the year. Um, we're not one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got two large buildings and small numbers. And so, you know, the, the concept of social distancing is a different one for schools. Um, but we've got a plan that can make it work. So um, the short answer to your question is the hybrid model, some at home, some in person. What does the split look like? Obviously, you said you're the district is sort of looking for a 10 week commitment um, from those who who decided one way or another. What what's the breakdown look out of the the total student body? Well, one thing that, you know, we know is how hard it's been to be quarantined all this time. And the fact is that, you know, most families um, either want or say they need to come back to school. So um, the rough estimate is about 80-20, about 80% coming back in person and about 20% staying at home. I didn't mention that, uh, you know, just like a lot of schools, um, we are five days a week in person um, for grades pre-K through six, um, but through but for grades seven through twelve, um, it's a it's a split where 
we're splitting up the classes um, in half. And uh, for most kids, it'll be two days a week. Um, you either come in on Monday and Thursday in person or Tuesday and Friday. Um, and then, uh, you know, you learn remotely for the rest of the week. What has the hybrid model looked like for you guys from a, a manpower standpoint? Like what were some of the things that you guys had to do to sort of make the the number of bodies on the administrative and teaching side work out for the commitments that you had, whether it be remote or in person? Yeah, that's another piece that was, you know, it's a big part of the plan. Um, there was so much uncertainty in the early stages. And uh, one of the difficulties in making the plan was uh, we can't we can't finalize details unless we know how many people we have. <laughs> um, so I kept describing it as like the chicken and the egg. Um, when when we said when we when we reached out to people to say, you know, are you, are are you planning on coming in in person? Um, they would say, I need more details. And then we'd say, the only way we can give you details is if we know how many people are coming in. So it was sort of a, uh, you know, a tough um, situation going through the summer. Um, I've shared many times publicly that, you know, it, it just so happens that the staff at South Seneca skews a little to the older side. So we actually do have quite a few situations with staff members who are in those vulnerable populations. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to create a plan where, um, you know, people felt safe um, and that if you had a serious concern about, um, you know, what would happen if you contracted COVID, um, then we wanted to make it possible for you to uh, do, do your work remotely if it's possible. Um, so, uh, you know, the good news is that, uh, you know, even among the teaching staff, um, the, the percentages are roughly what I just described for the students. So, you know, maybe it's more like 75, 25, where about three quarters of them are in, um, one quarter are working from home. Um, we have two different situations in our two buildings, uh, in the inner Lakin building, which is our elementary school. Um, we, um, we've set it up so that you're one or the other, either you are an in-person teacher working with students in person or you are a remote teacher working at home with students who are fully remote. Um, so, you know, it's a sort of a clean situation where you know who your students are, you know who you're teaching, um, you don't have double duty in terms of, you know, in-person and remote. Um, it's a little more difficult in the secondary level because of certification. Um, so, you know, when, when we teach when we teach a secondary subject, we need a certified teacher to teach that subject. And at South Seneca, there's a lot of cases where we have one single certified teacher in a subject area. And so at the secondary level, um, you have to have your full roster of students, no matter where you are, no matter where they are. Uh, so, you know, we have to accommodate for that in the plan. Um, and so, you know, that's that's been a piece of our planning through the summertime to manage that situation and make it so that uh, it'll work. Now, when it came right down to it and you guys were looking at the options as far as what you could do or not do, uh, what were some of basically like the key factors? Was it mostly the student population and the space you had available that that made the decision you made possible? Or what were some of the key factors in, in the, the end decision to offer a hybrid model to, to students in the community? Yeah, so the big picture really starts with the governor. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason that we were closed the way we were closed um, in the spring was by executive order. 
Um, we were promised at the very beginning of August um, a statement from the governor about what was um, going to be allowed in the state. You know, and as this as the summer evolved, um, it became the system where uh, New York State is divided into these regions. Um, at South Seneca, we're part of the Finger Lakes region um, attached to the greater Rochester area, um, which is interesting for us because um, we're part of TST BOCES in Ithaca. And all of my um, colleagues at TST BOCES are not part of the same region that I'm part of. Um, they're in a different region. I think they're in the southern tier, maybe. Um, and so, you know, that was the starting point is what's the what's the pandemic situation um, region by region? Um, you know, we've been blessed to be in a place now where um, infection rates are low. Um, you know, it's Seneca County. I think we've had a total of about 80 cases or so over the over the course of um, things. Right now, I believe the latest number is seven, that we have seven active cases. Um, so that's serious. You know, one of the things I keep saying is an active case means the virus is here, um, ready to spread um, if we're not careful. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, Seneca County, I think, has done a really nice job of uh, paying attention to this. Um, you know, one of the things, another thing that we've been doing in our planning phase um, is I've been participating weekly in uh, Jeff Shipley's meetings out of the Chamber of Commerce with business leaders and the politicians and the um, health department. Um, and, you know, they're they're on the verge of launching their Seneca Safe program. Um, and it's just been really great cooperation in the county to make sure that, you know, we're doing the right things to um, keep things, keep the infection rate low. Um, so, you know, I like to talk about um, South Seneca as a small enrollment school, big ge geographic region school for 130 square miles, but we've got about 650 kids or so. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the combination of all those variables makes it possible to be able to for us to do this safely. Um, as I said, we got two big buildings. Um, with uh, not even every student coming in in person, each of our classes is even smaller than it was. Um, you know, and as we built this plan, we can, you know, we can make it so that kids are distanced and, uh, you know, we pay attention to face coverings and hand hygiene and, uh, you know, we, we can do it safely. So uh, I, I want to get sort of a little bit of your input on what your expectations are for when students come back. What what are the things you're either concerned about or you're going to be uh, watching most closely when students do enter buildings and do return to uh, academic life? So I think that the number one thing that's going to be so different is um, wearing masks. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be, that's a, that's such a change for, um, the way that we've always run school before. Um, and we have to be really serious about it. Um, you know, the, the safety of the plan relies on the face coverings. Um, so we've had tons of conversations about our air handling systems and, you know, the, um, the flow of air and the fact that the virus seems to be an airborne virus, um, and, you know, the number one thing that prevents spread is uh, social distancing and wearing masks. Um, and so this is probably the, the biggest adjustment for everybody. Um, I've shared, of, you know, many, many times that the school is not built for social distancing. That's not what we do in schools. We, you know, we come together. We don't stay apart. Um, and so behaviorally, it's those two things, the social distancing and the wearing of masks um, that are the big changes. 
other than that, you know, what we're striving for is a school day. You know, we don't want to be living in a culture of fear at school. We want to be having a school day. And, you know, the excitement of bringing kids back um, is that they haven't been in our buildings since March. People are dying to get back to school. It's almost, it makes you smile a little bit because, you know, the, it's the standard thing to complain about school and, oh, I got to go to school. But you know what? People love being here and they love being together and they love being with each other and seeing their friends and teachers and students. And, uh, you know, I myself um, almost didn't even realize personally how much well-being you get just by being in the building around everybody all the time. And, you know, you you appreciate it more in its absence, you know, in the spring. So, you know, what we want is a school day that feels like a school day. And we're just going to have to pay attention to all of these new rules and getting used to the idea of wearing masks in the building. When it comes to student outcomes, what what do you think about or what are you worried about when uh, a hybrid model or the potential of having to go back to a, a fully remote model down the road or potentially having to you know, bring students back halfway through to a fully in-person model, that that sort of uh, movement seems like it would bring a little bit of concern, at least among administrators and teachers. What are some of the things you're either worried about or you're hearing teachers are worried about? Sure. So, uh, you know, we've talked, you and I have even talked about how you know, remote learning is not a great substitute for um, being in person in the classroom. You know, so there's going to be things that are lost um, in that mode. Um, at the same time, you know, we, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on, you know, we're, we're professional staff. We've got master's degrees in education. You know, we pay attention to research about brains and learning and the way people learn. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting um, in the 21st century, all the different tools that are available um, for learning. Um, and so, you know, the, and then I'll say it again, we're a small school and we have the advantage, one of the advantages of being a small school is we can work individual by individual, student by student. Um, and, you know, the, what teachers love to do is to, uh, and, you know, see the progress in their students. And, you know, so as, as hard as that was in the spring, we heard some amazing stories about the things that were accomplished there. From a big picture perspective, of course, you have the worry about student student progress, academic progress. You know, is you know we, we would never want to feel like we lost a spring last spring, or that this upcoming school year, because of all the challenges of it, are going to somehow be another lost school year. You know, we we reject that notion. Um, we feel confident that you know, working student by student, we can get things done. Um, and at the same time, we're kind of realistic about the limitations of, you know, the plan that we've got, you know, um, doing things remotely at the secondary level, even three days a week. Um, there's going to be some sacrifices there. I think the state ed department has been good about acknowledging that. Um, and, you know, all of their guidance has essentially been hold the kids accountable for what um, you can get done um, in the mode that you're in. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's almost like a teacher by teacher decision. You know, you've got a course where you're used to covering, you know, X amount of curriculum and you, you know, might very well have to scale back on that a little bit, but let's keep the rigor up. Let's uh, keep the expectations high. Um, let's do good work. And, you know, in fact, there are actually some kids that thrive in that model even better than, um, you know, in another model. So, you know, we, again, we've got the advantage of working student by student, 
And, uh, you know, when we do it that way, um, we still feel like we can get a lot done. Because of because of that and because of what you just said, do you do you see a scenario where remote learning does to some degree stay involved or as an option in the post pandemic school school world? So um, before the pandemic, you know, we it was sort of in the category of what they called the distance learning. And it was already a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we uh, you know, um, because of, again, being a small school. Um, you know, our course catalog um, is limited by the number of people that we have in the building. You know, each teacher can only teach so many courses. And so we've had a piece of our high school program for a while now where, you know, we've had the option to do certain courses that we're unable to offer in-house um, in a distance learning model. And so we've had students, for example, take AP courses that, you know, we couldn't offer. Then they do it through a BOCES program where um, the teacher is teaching remotely. Um, And so that's already been in the system. Um, And, you know, if there's a silver lining to all of this, I think everybody's toolkit has expanded um, and we're all getting, you know, we're all learning about, you know, the things that you can do in a remote model. Um, And I think that those things will persist, you know, when we're post pandemic someday, and I can't wait for that day, (laughs) um, that uh, uh, I think that, you know, uh, the toolkit doesn't go away. And so it could be something that, you know, could be part of the instructional modality going into the future. It just won't be the primary thing anymore. And my last question for you uh, has to do with funding. What are your big concerns with the funding piece of education across the whole state, but for your district in particular, uh, looking at this year and beyond? Uh, That 20 percent number is a very scary number. Um, And what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, it seems as if the the messaging right now from the state is a a straight 20 percent cut in aid across the board for all districts. Um, You know, it's so hard because. Um, you know, the, mostly what we advocate for is an equitable system. Um, and so, you know, when you go district by district, um, the situation is different, um, you know, depending on where you, where, where part of the state you're in. And really between 700 districts, things are different. Um, at South Seneca, um, our revenue comes about a third from taxes and two thirds from aid. Um, even our neighbors, our closest neighbors like Romulus and Trumansburg, they have different ratios there. Um, and so, you know, depending on how much you you rely on aid, the twenty percent cut hurts more. Uh, and uh, you know, twenty percent is a that's a fifth of our aid. You know, so if we if you just say seventeen million dollars is the amount of aid that we receive, um, you know, and we we're um, subject to a twenty percent cut in that, that's three plus million. Um, that changes everything. Uh, I have said again and again, you know, as a school district in a rural community, um, we pride ourselves on what we can offer to help families. Um, and, uh, there's a lot that we can do to help, um, but everything is driven by the revenue. Uh, and so, you know, when, when we advocate with statewide leaders and federal leaders, we say, if you, if you help us, we can help everybody. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a huge concern. Um, we've built a nice plan this year to be able to weather the storm for one single year. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the same things that a lot of districts are doing with enhanced retirement incentives. And, you know, it's going to be a tough budget season coming up when we plan for next year. Um, but, you know, if, if things remain on this path, um, then, uh, you know, the, the simple answer is we're just not going to be able to do all the things that we have been able to do um, without the revenue to fund it. 